0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of On the Inside Track. I'm Debbie Hazelton. We all make choices to become one kind of person or another, to move into one kind of work or another. How do we make these choices? My guest this week is someone I've enjoyed getting to know well through her appearance on affiliates in action. She is the president of ACB students, Miss Tiffany Jolliffe, and she is also a candidate for the ACB Board of Directors. I am so proud to see her stepping up and willing to share her drive and passion, talent in this endeavor. I hope you enjoy listening with me as we explore defining moments from there to here. Thank you for listening. So I am absolutely thrilled to have you here today, Tiffany. It was so great to start to get to know you with affiliates in action. Yes, I'm so excited for the board. I have to say, I'm already putting my bias out there. I um, <laughs> whoops. Hey, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, this is not ACB Radio talking. This is me.
1: <laughs> yeah. This is Debbie. This is full-on Deb. That's right. You're probably going to need to edit this because right now I am fighting with a can. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to open it and
0: it's just... I'm failing so bad. So this is good. So part of how you got to where you are now is multitasking, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Thinking on your feet.
1: Just running into (laughs) everything.
0: blind people cooking. (laughs) I love it. See, we need you on hazelnuts. Oh my god, you guys wouldn't be able to handle me. I'm like, I'm in my kitchen. It's like Jerry Springer in here. Tell us about who you are. You are just full of drive and energy and all kinds of good things. And I know you've had a lot to deal with. So
1: what keeps you going? You had said something to me earlier about making choices where we've been how we got to where we are today, the choices we've made, et cetera, et cetera. And I really think that the first milestone or inside look did not come from me making a choice. It actually came from my parents making a choice. They found out that I was blind at a young age, probably about six weeks old, is when they first noticed something. Six months was when I was diagnosed, And they faced a choice. They could either shelter me, not let me live a quote-unquote normal life, be mainstreamed in school, etc. Or they could treat me like any other little kid and expect big things from me. And that's the choice that they made. I had to make very good grades in school. I swam for eight years competitively, was in choir, theater, et cetera. So they always pushed to make sure that I was doing better and just doing the best that I could be doing. My dad would always say to me, if your friends are going the extra mile, you need to be going the extra ten. And I know there are differing philosophies on that, but that was the one my parents took with me, and I'm very appreciative of that because it's made me into someone who pushes. Mm -hmm. I don't just settle for anything, and so that's something that they instilled very early, and I just keep going with that. Uh Did you always feel good about that? Oh, no. Mm -mm. (laughs) No, not at all. They came down at me pretty hard if my grades weren't up to snuff. And because of that, I was able to graduate from high school with a really good GPA. They wouldn't let me just fall back on my, oh, well, I'm blind, so I don't have to do this kind of thing. That was never an excuse. It never They didn't see blindness as any sort of stumbling block for me. And so I don't really see it as one for myself now. That's great. Uh, Did you believe that they believed in you? Absolutely. It was one of those whenever I would get a bad grade, they're like, we know you're smart. What are you doing? Because it was never really about me not knowing the material. It was more me like, oh, I'm just not going to turn in my homework today. (laughs) But at the same time, though... They knew that there were going to be things that were going to be harder. So, say, art class or geometry, something that is a more visual medium, Mm -hmm. they knew it was going to be harder. So they always told me, if you don't get it and you are truly trying to do well, we're not going to punish you for that. I just tried as hard as I could, especially in geometry and got a C in it. But they knew that I was going to the teacher every day and getting help. So they knew that that was the best that I could do. And they were proud of that. So they they didn't hold unattainable standards for me. But they did expect pretty close to perfection. (laughs) (laughs) Were you allowed to
0: have feelings or was it more like you just had to be strong all the time
1: Uh, I did a lot of rooting and you know writing in my journals and just all the emo kid stuff Mm -hmm. you do as a teenager but outwardly I mostly had to be strong now one thing my parents did help me with and this actually is a big influence on me as I have gotten older was that throughout high school I was bullied mercilessly bullied and you have never seen a better advocate than my parents in in times like those so when it came to something like that if I wanted to break down or whatever at home they were there for that now of course they wanted me to stand up be strong still do well in school but at the same time they understood that there was more going on and so they took it on themselves to try and help with those situations that's
0: good were you bullied by girls boys both both oh.
1: and the administration didn't do anything to stop it either did not uh, it was, yeah no it was one of those oh give them one more chance oh they get one more chance just one more chance And actually, there was a lot of, and it's kind of interesting that it's becoming so prevalent now in terms of awareness, but cyberbullying was big Mm -hmm. uh, back when I was in high school. So I think there's awareness of that today Mm -hmm. and a lot more things being done in 2004 and 2005 when when I was in high school. There were a lot of unknowns, so people would not go and try to find out who was... Doing something under a particular screen name, unless you had a grand jury indictment and all the
0: yeah, I can imagine you learning to stand up to it. I mean, you're strong. (laughs) Oh yeah, nobody's going to push you around.
1: There were a a couple of incidents in the hall. Probably should have gotten in trouble, but Mm -hmm. teachers. I could hear them kind of laughing in the background, like, as I left, you know, so you could hear them kind of snickering, like, hey. like, we can't say it ourselves. I'm sure that my dad taught me it was, uh, get your diploma and get the hell out Was my, uh, <laughs> what? Get, right. do what you need to do and and
0: move on. Now, that was right. high school. He's like, they're all going to be working for you. Also That's, <laughs> wow. They're going to be yeah. working for you. He knew you were going to be mm-hmm. in charge one day. Right. That's interesting. So Mm -hmm. they raised you to be a leader. They didn't just raise you to, you know, like uh, to pass and be self-supporting and have bread on the table. They raised you expecting you to do great things.
1: I think so. You know, and I think it's really one of those they expected greatness, Mm -hmm. but they didn't really necessarily care how it came so if I was raised to be the best follower in the world well then awesome that was what I would be Mm -hmm. but if I wanted to be a leader then they supported that too so they were just okay a good support system Mm -hmm. no matter what you did though turn into being a
0: pretty powerful leader you already have become a a very powerful leader as I see you in what you've done with students this last year
1: yes but, you know, it's one thing to be leading on your own. It's another when you have a lot of people around you who want to help you succeed as well. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, I feel that I stepped in in a time where students was really, really struggling. Mm-hmm. But at the same time the other members of my board were so strong and wanted to be led and wanted to make things better. And so they allowed me to lead and they also, I allowed them to push back on Mm -hmm. me as a leader. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we not only have been able to bring students to where they are now, but we're also friends, as it turns oh out, which is gosh, great.
0: That is so great. And you all grew. It sounds like there was a lot of really good listening and and sharing. And probably, like, it sounds almost like close to lifeline, you know, kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Some Absolutely. real
1: struggles. Yes. All of us had struggles. But the cool thing about it was that everybody supported each other. No one hung anybody else out to dry and made you feel terrible about anything. We all were there for the same reason. We all wanted to make students better. And in doing that, we made each other better. That's
0: for many people, many years of learning in one year. You went through boot camp. (laughs) We did, we did. (laughs) So, okay, so you had this early influence. Mm -hmm. How are you with your parents now? How are they in your life now?
1: We are very close. Um, especially me and my dad, my mom and I are close, but my mom says that she has twins, me and my dad. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We have pretty much the same personality, which is very scary if you get us going. But I mean, we talk practically every day. They live in Texas. I live here in Virginia. They are just such good influences in my life. They help me make big decisions. They are there just to, to talk every day. And a lot of people say, well, why do you talk to your parents every day? Like, you're 29 years old. What are you doing? But I just, I love talking to them. I like telling them about my day and what's happening. And I think we have an excellent relationship.
0: That is really wonderful. What else is important to you in some of the choices that you've made?
1: I like to be able to do as much as I can independently. Mm -hmm. That actually was the result of the choice as well. When I graduated from Illinois State University, I received an internship offer four months later from the Office of Disability Employment Policy out in DC. So at the time, I was living in Illinois, about 700 miles away, with my parents in my house. Mm. And I had to choose, was I going to take that opportunity and move out to DC, oh. or was I going to stay at home and continue looking for work in Illinois? And I was supported either way,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I knew that I was not finding any real good career opportunities where I was living, mm-hmm. and I wasn't really finding anything close to where so maybe up in Chicago, something like that. I wasn't even finding anything there. Mm -hmm. And so I felt that I needed to do something drastic if I was going to succeed and have a career. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that I was going to pack everything up and move out to D.C., uh, where I knew people. I actually knew several ACB members out here. But I had no family, and it was, you know, I'm sure the family (laughs) was a little uh, distraught at at my decision to leave. But they also supported it because they they understood my justification as to why I wanted to move out here and everything. So they packed me up, and we drove out here. Uh, My dad taught me all of my routes to and from the metro uh, to work and back. Everything, no O&M instruction, just the family.
0: Wow. And
1: they stayed out here with me for a week. It was over Memorial Day weekend of 2012. And then they left and left me to uh, do it on my own and start going to work and start my my life out here. How did you feel when they left that day? I, you know... I was sad, Mm -hmm. but they had spent that whole week with me really just drilling all of my routes and everything. Mm. So I felt fairly confident as well. Mm -hmm. So it was a bittersweet thing. And at that time, I wasn't sure if I was going to ever be moving back to Illinois or not. So I was kind of, well, I'm sad, but maybe I'll be back in a couple months. Mm -hmm. But as I continued out here... I knew I did not want to move back home. And it wasn't for lack of support there. It was that we had so much accessibility out here. We had the metro, cabs, just I could be spontaneous and go out with friends whenever I wanted. I could get to work on my own. And I knew if I went back to Illinois that I wasn't going to have that there. And so again, my parents said, find a job or you're moving home because we're not going to have you going into debt living out there (laughs) (laughs) so I did because I wanted it Uh and I think that's the big that might be one of the big things about me is if I want it I do it I know and I notice (laughs) there's not much that stands in my way if I want something so
0: yeah you're very strong very determined and you speak Speak that way. I don't hear a little timid person in how you speak.
1: Thank you. Toastmasters.
0: I thought so. (laughs) I thought you said you had gone through Toastmasters one time.
1: That was too a choice. I bombed a speech. I did not do well. It was in my internship. And I didn't want people to see me like that Mm -hmm. in the professional world. So I joined Toastmasters because I didn't want people to see me as unprofessional and unable to speak eloquently. Mm -hmm. So again, I had something I wanted and I went after it and brought my speech capabilities up to snuff so that I could compete in the professional world if I had to.
0: You strike me as somebody who walks through fire. You don't just sit around and wimp out on things. You're not afraid to expect a lot from yourself or from life.
1: And I I think that's true. When I decided that I was going to go to grad school, it was because I saw a lot of people around me being promoted in their work. A main reason why they were being promoted was because they had master's degrees. And I knew I just had my bachelor's degree and that wasn't going to cut it, especially out here in D.C. So I applied to grad school. I knew based on circumstances in my undergrad, that I did not have a stellar GPA. In order to circumvent that, I actually went to open houses in the program that I wanted to be in and cornered the director of the program and talked to him and laid it all out. Just kind of told him what had happened prior and that I really wanted to be a part of this. I got my application in months, months and months in advance and then started calling him the second that the applications were starting to be decided upon. Mm -hmm. So I actually knew that I was going to be in grad school two months before admissions actually sent out letters. Because I was so nervous about being accepted that I just kept hounding him until he gave me a spot <laughs> in the in the program. And I there was a part of me I just couldn't stand the thought of doing poorly again. And in fact, they admit me on academic probation because of my GPA in undergrad. I've been in academic probation before. It's embarrassing to me. Oh, yeah. It's embarrassing. Mm. And So because of that, I worked so hard. And so I ended up graduating from grad school with a 3.95 GPA, which I'm still not happy about, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted it to be higher.
0: What were you studying? (laughs) I don't recall. What were you studying on the undergraduate and the graduate levels?
1: In undergrad, I initially wanted to be a special educator and Mm -hmm. teach students who were blind. Mm -hmm. The professor's at my school did not believe that people who are blind should be teaching students who are blind. So they ended up failing out me and the other person who was in my cohort that had a visual impairment. And that was how they were able to get me out of the program. And I, at that point, wanted to just throw in the towel and because they offered me this interdisciplinary studies degree that I could maybe get because I had all the hours. Mm. But I talked to my family and they said, what are you going to do with that? It's just a piece of paper. It doesn't mean anything. It's not marketable. And so I started taking an economics class because it was a pr- prerequisite. I was not looking forward to economics at all. Mm-hmm. It scared me. Oh, yeah. And the, f- <laughs> <laughs> and the first day I was in a lecture hall with 300 other people. And at the end of class, the professor comes bounding up the, <laughs> the steps in the, in the lecture hall, comes up to my desk and he says, what can I do to help you pass my class? Had you and said anything in there? Had you? Had no, Kind of ashamed to say this. I walked out of his class and cried because I had not gotten that kind of support, just immediately unconditional support from a professor before. Did you and feel like
0: you were going to like it when you heard the content that d- first day?
1: I wasn't sure. I knew I was going to like him. He mm-hmm. just had a really wow. out-facing personality. You could tell he loved the subject. Mm-hmm. And when a professor loves a subject, the student typically does too. Because it's just this infectious energy. And I just loved it. I He was going to make it fun. And if you can make somebody get kind of excited about economics at eight in the morning, you know that you have something there. So he came up, he he asked me what he could do to help me. He assigned his grad student TA to help me figure out graphs and all this stuff to make them accessible, worked with the disability support office. And that swayed me because I was going to do business, but I saw him and how supportive he was. And as I researched more, I found out that the whole economics department was like that. They had never had a blind student before. And they worked as hard as they could to make sure that I did well in their classes. And I finished their degree in a year and a half, taking micro and macro economics in the same semester. Don't recommend that. (laughs) Horrible, but... All the professors were amazing, and I got nothing less than a B in all of my classes over there. So it started to restore some of my faith, like, oh, maybe I'm not a crappy student, because the more you get told, you believe it. Yeah, sure.
0: It also sounds like the undergrad thing, it was discriminatory.
1: It was, and I did file a complaint.
0: But you know what? I think it It opened your eyes, because you've done a lot with advocacy and still are. Yes. Your own.
1: Absolutely. Yes. That actually did spawn my decision. It, it helped it when I decided to go after Uber this past year. Mm-hmm. They, The blatant, unfair treatment, and in Uber's case, the injury I suffered was because of discrimination. Mm-hmm. And I could not allow that to happen to other people. It's not fair, and... In the case of the Uber situation, all I was trying to do was come home from a dinner with friends and the driver did not want my dog in her car. So she ended up dragging me down the street because I was trying to get into her car and she stepped on the gas as I was trying to get into her car. And that just can't happen. I mean, I had a sprained shoulder from the incident, but it could have been so much worse. Mm -hmm. And I fear for people in my situation, who might end up having something even worse happen to them. I had to fight with the police to file a report. And thanks to Eric, he actually got me in touch with the Washington Lawyers Committee.
0: That's really excellent. And again, what I see is not only is this about you and your life, but it Seems to me that it's bringing you front and center to be quite a strong advocate on a lot of levels, quite a strong speaker, and you know, just someone who's out there getting things done on a lot of levels.
1: I just think we need more of that. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who are not part of any sort of consumer organization, and yet they have issues with advocacy or whatever and they'll tell me about them but they won't step up and fight for them themselves and i'm not judging that i Mm -hmm. i don't think that some people just don't want to put themselves out there like that and that's fine i get a lot of energy and it It does oh my (laughs) gosh and you,
0: you have to go through feeling vulnerable feeling like well you know it's no fun to feel you know personally not liked or exactly, you know, personally, exactly, you know, like disdained or something, you know? Yes. What kind of work are you doing today?
1: I work for the Office of Disability Employment Policy. I stayed in touch with my boss from my internship. And after I got a job at another company, I still stayed in touch with her. So she had a position to open up on her team and invited me to come back. She's an amazing woman. She's excellent. Mm-hmm. I work as a program specialist. I have no idea what that means. Government is very big on titles. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I have written several blogs that have been syndicated on Department of Labor's national website about different things like the Workforce Recruitment Program, which was who hired me for my internship about schedule a which is the government's program to help hire people with disabilities into government and especially people who have targeted disabilities targeted being blind deaf people who are in wheelchairs Mm -hmm. etc so i wrote about that program i have facilitated a webinar about hiring people with disabilities. I have presented on a webinar about millennials with disabilities and the workforce. I like to get out in front of things. It
0: seems to me it's part of your drive. I know we've talked about wanting
1: to do something around health and leadership. I have multiple sclerosis. A lot of my friends know, like all my friends know it. Okay. The symptoms I exhibit are very mild mm-hmm. because I was diagnosed when I was 16. Okay. So they were able to get me on medicine early and start slowing the progression. Well, I appreciate <laughs> you sharing this.
0: What have you learned about how to balance your drive of being out there with your need for your own
1: health? The uh, biggest thing that I've learned, learned it over the past year, is that it's okay to say no. It's okay to set boundaries. I think that future leaders in ACB need to understand that while we give so much to ACB, we also need to be able to say no at times or not take on another thing and, and balance because the last thing you want to do is burn yourself out from what is an amazing organization.
0: Thank you, Tiffany, and thanks to all of you for listening. I hope to see you at convention soon and or to know you're there listening on ACB Radio. I'll be back with you July 13th. Thanks so much, and I wish you all the very best on the Inside Track. Practice makes progress. Give it a try. Your turn. Practice makes progress.